Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Whittacombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and of course, tales of parenting woe. Because let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Hello, you're listening to Parent in Hell with... Hi, Emmy. Can you say Rob Beckett? No. <laughs> Why not? Because, because it's too hard because I can't say, talk to say Uncle Adam's name. Okay, so Uncle Adam and can you say Josh Widdicombe? Ah, uh, that's my name. It's too long, isn't it? Yeah. Can you say stiff neck? Stiff neck. Nice. There you go. Did you recognise that voice, Rob? I recognise the little giggle of the dad as Tom Pacman, a man we both know. Yes. Who now lives in New York, and he worked in comedy, and he did my tour managing for a bit. Lovely guy. Lovely bloke. This is his daughter, Emmy. Lovely guy, Tom. From Gravesend. Went to school with Gemma Arterton. He did. He used to be in a band with Hannah Arterton, who is her sister. <laughs> He's getting a real plug. He runs the New York Comedy Festivals now, I think. It's a tricky one to pin down the location as I'm from the UK, but now live in New York with her. She's very New York, his daughter. His daughter couldn't sound more American. Come it? on already, Pa. I can't do that. I can only do one quantum. <laughs> Is it going to coffee really? I'm not sure that's what it's doing. Come on, on the sidewalk. <laughs> What do you think, John? I think it's awful. I've got a self-tape later. I want to get a job at NYPD Blue. You're nailed on, mate. I've never known anyone more nailed on for a job in my life. What, your other range of accents? Oh, anything you want, mate. Just fire them at me. Okay, Chinese? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, for Tom, for that voice. Nick Frost today. Exciting, isn't it? Very exciting. Big fan, Nick Frost. He's got kids. He's got a book out about cooking. And I want to ask him about something, Josh. Oh, go on. I like it when we do this. I've done some prep. You've done some prep? Well, after Ed Balls... You've decided to find out who it is this time. No, but Michael sent me an email and it's got a blurb about Nick Frost's book. Oh, I didn't get that email, did I? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Another clue. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. But he says that he loves food and he wants his kids to have a good relationship with food like waking up to the smell of fresh bread and stuff but it also says he will wear a helmet when he cooks so he doesn't have to listen to the kids now i want to ask him about this because i put headphones on listen to a podcast when i'm cooking so i can concentrate and when i'm like tidying up and doing the dishwasher because i get it done quicker but i don't know if that's mean <laughs> yes if they're actively talking to me i will talk back to them i can take my airpods out so when I cook, I have a podcast or audio book on or the radio, but I'll have them out loud. What was the podcast? Well, it's normally swearing in it or about boxing. They don't hear that. They've already got the football on the telly that they don't want to watch. Well, we've got like a kitchen living area sort of thing. Like there's a sofa in the kitchen. That's where they watch telly because we've got a, a living room that's nicer that's sort of for evenings and special. So they're normally in there. So if I've got a podcast and it'll be like competing with their cartoons. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Fair enough. That's the issue there. Have we got anything else we're going to ask? I quite like this new thing we do where we discuss the interview beforehand. I was thinking about this. I think we should tell people 
what they do rather than just say their names. Okay. Because I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about someone and I sort of half knew them and then they listed the other stuff they'd done. And I was like, oh, that's really helped me place them and has made this interview more interesting. And I thought, yeah, maybe that's what we should do rather than just going, hello, Nick Frost, and then just talking about them. Yeah, but I don't think you want to do it when they're there because I hate that when I'm being interviewed. Do you know what I mean? I would too if I had your CV. Oh, that is great gear. That is good gear. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you have to sit there for the first bit and they go, he's a legend of stage and screen. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. So I think we can just say Nick Frost. He was in space. Interestingly, like he was just a wait, not just a waiter, but he wasn't a trained actor. Mm. He was just Simon Pegg's mate who he'd worked with in a restaurant, and then he got a role in Spaced, and then it's all gone on. He's done Shaun of the Dead, he's done Hot Fuzz, he's then gone to Hollywood. I think Steven Spielberg described him as like the greatest comic actor he's ever worked with, or something like that. Lovely stuff. I really liked him fighting with my family. Yeah, the Stephen Merchant film. Yeah, about the wrestling family from, like, Norfolk. Also, I just had a quick look online, and it says that he's in Super Nanny. Is Joe Frost one of his characters? <laughs> I just don't know why, because I've gone on Super Nanny. It just says Joe Frost and Nick Frost. Are they, like, siblings or part? Is that his wife? I haven't done enough reason. <laughs> Try and work it out, try and work it out, try and work it out, Rob. Why are you doing it? Try and work it Drop out. Drop it in. It this is the good thing about us discussing beforehand, that you could ask him. Because it's a perfect parenting question. You could say, do you have a naughty step? And then you'll know whether he is Joe Frost. I will ask him, why he wears a helmet when he's cooking? And are you Joe Frost? Are you Joe Frost? There are two questions. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this now. Not that I wasn't anyway. Fucking hell, that was a bad slip of the tongue. No, I'm looking... <laughs> You're a bit overworked, Josh. I'm a bit overworked. You need less on your plate. I'm actually happy to just let this run for a couple of hours. I've got time. Yeah, what you can do with your afternoon? I forgot. Breathe. Time to breathe. Now, I'm going to walk the dogs and I've got to sort the house out. Oh, God. Everyone's got to sort the house out. We've got big sorting the house out discussions. We're going to have to get some more storage put in, Rob. Storage put in the house? Why don't you just move? Because we love where we live. Can I say something as a friend? No, Rob, not everyone wants to live no, in the No, 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 the countryside. You're so obsessed with where I live. I think for the lifestyle you have and what you and Rose and the kids like to do, I think you should stay where you are. I think you should stay in Victoria Park. Oh. That's what you like. People are different. Yeah. People are wrong. But you enjoy being wrong. That's fine. So you live there. It's great for you <laughs> and your decisions. <laughs> However, I think you should stay in zone two, wherever it is you are. But I think you need more space and a bigger garden because when the kids get older... The kids want to play football and play in the garden. It is so lovely to have more space because we had a garden similar size to yours. Rob. Then we I moved know, and it's a game changer. You can have so much more fun and time at home. If you're in a lucky enough they position to move. They don't exist in zone two, Rob. They don't exist in zone two. I'm just saying. They don't Yeah, but you're already saying you need Park. storage. Yeah, we just need a bit of storage. What is storage? It's space, isn't it? I haven't even used the word garden. And you're obsessed with your big no, garden. No, but I'm just saying as your kids get older... They're going to be less interested in the garden. They're going to be out taking crap. Yeah, they're going to get bigger. They're going to need more space for their things. You're going to have like potentially four bikes in the front. Rob, Rose is never riding a fucking bike. Okay, two bikes. But I'm just saying, where are you going to put the storage? Like built-in cupboard somewhere? Yeah. But where? In the kitchen. Right. You're going to extend the kitchen? No, it's a big old kitchen, Rob. Don't have a go at the size of my no, kitchen. No, I thought you were changing the kitchen a few weeks ago. 
Oh yeah, we are, we are, we are. Oh, so how are you having a go at me? You're changing the. Oh, you're not extending it though. You're just redesigning it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. I genuinely, I think this is my prediction. Okay, and we will pan out because we will be doing this in a few years' time. Not even just because we're contractually obliged to. We like it. You will get the storage of the kitchen, redo the kitchen. I reckon within five years you'll move house. I don't think we will. I think you know you will. I think I know we won't. I don't think we will. This is Nick for us. <laughs> Do you want me to do a quick parenting tip before we move on? Where you can... Yeah, yeah, if you want to do a parenting tip. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. All right. Dear Rob and Josh, I've got two <laughs> girls, Ella 15 and 14. We moved recently. We wish we'd done it sooner. It's been a nightmare having teenagers in a smaller house. And even though we thought... We haven't got a small house. Even though we thought storage would solve all our problems. You haven't got a small house, but... You could get more space, I think. Anyway, I've got two girls, Ella, 15 and 14. Evie was a nightmare sleeper, which didn't really... I just don't agree <laughs> with storage. When someone buys a cupboard, you don't go, you need to move house. No, but it's like the entry drug. It's like smoking pot before heroin. I'm thinking of getting some cupboards put in. You know where you should go for cupboards? Foxton's, because you need a new house. No, but I would say, you know, if you've got enough space for all your stuff, the word storage doesn't get brought up. Because you haven't got enough storage space. You either need to just have less things or move. No, you don't. That's an absurd. <laughs> Sam, you haven't got enough space for all the stuff and you're going to need more stuff. No, we have. We just haven't got enough storage. We haven't got enough space for it now. We've got a baby, essentially. He's only two. When he starts having things and growing up. He's got things now. He's got fucking things now, mate. I'll tell you that for free. My daughter came home from school the other day with a guitar and a flute. Where are you putting that in the week? What? And the guitar stand? The flutes are tiny. Yeah, but then they get bigger. How big's your flute? The shoes get bigger. Why did you move to the country? Because we didn't have room for a flute. Your shoe covered at the moment, or wherever you're keeping your shoes, right? Fine, isn't it? Those tiny little feet. Wait until your boy gets his old big size nine and tens. You've got a man living in your house. Have you seen the size of me and Rose? Let me put it like this, Josh. The house you're in now, okay? Imagine if another couple moved in. Well, I don't want that. You didn't have kids. Well, I don't want another couple to move in with us. No, but I'm just saying, that's what's going to happen because they'll grow up and there's another two adults living in that house. I'm going to say it now. There's no way that my daughter could have more stuff than she's got at the moment. Yes, she will, and it'll be bigger. No. It will. No. It's going to grow. And if you're struggling now with space, you wait till they're 15, 16. We're not struggling with space at all. We're not struggling with space. Just saying. But we're not struggling with space. They're yours words. I'll bet you 100 quid. Tell you what I'll bet you. Stamp duty. Fuck off. Not on zone two. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing that. You got on telly before me. Anyway, I've got two girls, Ella, 15, and Evie, 14. Evie was a nightmare sleeper and didn't really sleep properly for about five years. When they were little, we would read them bedtime stories and act out all the parts and really get into it. The trouble was, it just kept them awake for longer. I realised that when you tell them a story, you need to get less and less animated as you tell it. Eventually, your voice needs to be totally flat and boring. The monotone delivery will have them asleep much, much quicker. Trust me, it works. Well, that is a good tip. That is a good tip. Cheers, fellas. Keep up the good work. You crack us up. Josh's Kitchen Breakdown episode should win an award. This is from Steve. P.S. Rob, can you say hello to my wife, Joss? She's your biggest fan. Hi, Joss. That's a good tip, that is. Right. Should we bring on Nick Frost? Yeah. Send you a couple of links on Rightmove I've seen for you. Oh, for fuck's sake. Do you want to do the intro, Josh, or shall I? Wow, it's very simple, isn't it? Nick Frost, hello. <laughs> hello. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> well, we find it awkward doing intros and being on the end of them when they sort of list things you've done or describe you in a full-on way. We find it a bit yeah. awkward and cringe. How do you feel about intros, Nick? A hundred percent feel the same way. Just that my name was enough. It was great. Perfect. Look at that. We're flying already. Nick, how many kids have you got? Can you let us know the setup at home? What's the deal? And their ages? Okay. Well, I've got three that I know about. Legend alert. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got an older son with my first wife, who's 12. And then I've got two lovely little children who are two and five with my... Is the word current? Current seems weird because there's kind of scope for another. So... Mm. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Second? (laughs) Keep her on her toes, Nick. Keep her on her toes. Second implies there's going to be a three or four. I'm only 51. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I should just also point out that your first son is 12 because the phrasing did sound like with my first wife, who is 12, for a moment, yeah. I was like, well, this is a scoop. If your first wife is 12 currently, <laughs> then we're in real trouble with this chat. We were together for 15 years as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the child who's 12. So you've got really little ones that are mental and non-stop, and then you've got one sort of probably becoming a bit moody and moving into teenager. So are you having to switch between the two quite effortlessly? Yeah, it's, I mean, I always thought that we've been up most of the night, my two-year-old, who just been sick about two or three times in the night so that was kind of annoying but I mean that to me is easier than the 12 year old because that feels really basic and just like change a sheet wipe a shitty anus and then you sort the kid out am I right sorry (laughs) and that's just my first wife (laughs) (laughs) I'm allowed one of them a month on this show (laughs) they get served up so easy it's hard not to so apologies but my 12-year-old's like, there's affairs of the heart now and his heart gets a bit yeah. broken and he likes mm. someone. And it's a lot harder because also as much as I just want to make it go away, there's also, because I'm like a huge people pleaser. So what I want to do is just jump in and just fix it. Mm. But in yeah. fact, what I should do is just do nothing. Yes, I can guide slightly, but I just need to let him feel what that emotion feels like. Otherwise, you get to a point in your 20s and you just don't know how to deal with any of that shit. God, yeah, that is tough, isn't it? I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, I've got a seven-year-old, well, eight and six, mine, at the end of the year. It's that kind of thing where they're going into school now and there's friendship groups and they're my friend, they're not my friend and I want to go here and all this kind of stuff. And that only gets sort of more intense as they go to teenagers. But like you say, you can be there and supportive and stuff, but you do just have to do nothing and let them learn. And it's awful. It is difficult because it's like you want to soothe them. But I mean, I think what being a parent, I've got two boys and a little girl and I think it's very important. I learned this quite a while ago, but I'm essentially wanting to parent good men, like in their 20s and 30s and their 40s. I think people just parent, let's just parent now until they're not children anymore. And then you're on your own. It's like, well, if we can do a good job of parenting good men, then I think that's probably the best thing I can do as a dad. Well, that's a nice way of thinking of it. It's the long game, isn't it? You're playing the long game. You know, you want them to know about consent and being a fucking good guy and not being treated like shit. And I think for many years I had that weird thing where I was like, can someone love me? Anyone? Can this (laughs) really beautiful girl who hates me and treats me like shit, will you love me a bit? 
<laughs> I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to feel that, you know. So if I can, yeah. in a way, teach them that you don't need any of this shit, then that might be enough as a dad. Do you feel like, because you've got the slightly older child, that you've sort of learned that and made a few mistakes, not mistakes, but like in the past, you may have got too involved in trying to help your child because you're a people pleaser. Whereas now you've sort of learned to step away a bit. Have you had things where like you've marched up to someone in the playground or told them to do this and do that? Or from the start, was you always let them get in on with it? I'm always kind of a fan of sitting back and seeing what they can do, you know, seeing how they deal with it. I think with my older one, obviously, not people pleaser as in, people pleaser in terms of my 12 year old just wanting to take his pain away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For the kids. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're based in the UK, are you? Or yeah, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. I live down in the southwest of London. Because obviously you work a lot in America and Hollywood and stuff. So do you ever go out there much? Have you considered going out there with your kids? I did a job for CBS two years ago when we were there for 10 months. Oh, and so the kids were there. And then I'm very fortunate that my ex-wife and my wife now are friends and they hang out without me and hang out with the kids and stuff and so we were all there together and the ex-wife came out a few times and so I was lucky enough to have all the kids with me for quite a bit. Oh that's brilliant because that can always be the bit of the my dad was married before and had two kids and stuff and it's so tricky because it's always different of like trying to get it to a healthy relationship between the kids and the other parents, but... Yeah, well, the kids are together all the time, so that is great. We've really, me and, and the mums have really worked hard at it. Unfortunately, I've had an amazing partner now who's kind of great with it, because I know yeah. there are people who'd be like, no, sorry, she ain't coming round. That's not my kid. <laughs> yeah. It works great. But to be in LA was, I just couldn't. As soon as we get out of there, we were like... <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> really? I mean, I think it was at the point of the Trump handover as well. So there was an actual conversation with my American agent where it's like, if there's a civil war, will you guys just fly me out like then with the kids and stuff? <laughs> I just never felt safe. I never felt safe driving them to school and they never felt safe at school. God, I just yeah. didn't like it at all. Yeah. I don't think there's been a firmer no to move into Hollywood there than that. <laughs> also, I'm British, you know, my family are here. I like it here. I like yeah. I like our life. It's like there wasn't a life there. I mean, yes, it was nice. We could go to the beach kind of every day, but it, you can't fucking swim because there's great whites everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not like the meds. It's like, go on, kids. You just have to watch them. So your book's about, well, half memoir, half cooking. Do you do a lot of cooking with your kids? Because I try and do stuff with my kids, but... I just find it it's quite annoying because they just keep fucking it up. Oh, I hate it. I hate oh, really? it. If I can do it without them being around, I would totally... Or what I'll do sometimes is I'll do, like, dummy setups so I'll have, like, a bowl with just right. flour in that I'll just oh, won't tend to use. And then they can crack eggs and put ketchup in it and, like, stir it up and that. Right. But that's a bit like Rocky Three, isn't it, where he just keeps getting fed bums? But they yes. think they're making good cakes. But actually, yeah, right. <laughs> Whenever I can feed my kid bums, that's, that's a good day. <laughs> yeah. Like last night, I was like, come on, let's have a barbecue. Sunday, let's have a barbecue. Come on. So, like, we had a barbecue and stuff, and they like to kind of be around the coals when they're being lit. And it felt good a bit, and then it was really smoky, and then I lost my rag because they wouldn't move back. And I'm like, just move, <laughs> just move away. 
and then it, it didn't become as fun as I imagined. But we got nice burgers in the end. It was fine. As soon as all the smoke stopped and it turned just to like the charcoal and fire and they can throw little bits of wood in and it was fun again. Because I've got ADHD too, so sometimes I just literally can't control myself. And I am getting better at it since I've realized I do it. I do get better at it. But I'm a great like shirt ripper. So sometimes if I get like angry or like I can feel a million emotions and I become out of control, I'll just literally grab my shirt and just tear it in half. <laughs> oh, the kids like it. <laughs> when like an adult does something that's really weird, I find kids love that thing. Do you clock if it's a shirt you like? Oh, I don't give a shit. It's gone. <laughs> I'll go into the downstairs toilet, clothes, and then I'll come out with no shirt on. <laughs> and they know what's happened. <laughs> I'll put a T-shirt in the bin. And like the kids are like, Daddy, where have your clothes gone? <laughs> so is that a manifestation of ADHD then, like where it's just all a bit overwhelming and you need to let it out? Yeah, I just get so overstimulated and I don't know what else to do. I scream into pillows. Do you ever do pillow screams? Sometimes after sex. <laughs> Not during. <laughs> Not during. Just after. <laughs> there are aspects of ADHD that the kids love, you know what I mean? Like we have just millions of characters in the house. And we have Big Daddy Chicken and... What's Daddy Big Daddy Ro Chicken? You can't Daddy squirt Ro over Big Daddy Chicken. <laughs> Daddy Robot's nice because he's like a robot that drives the kids to school. But he has like a weird vibe where he keeps saying to the kids, would you like me to crash into another vehicle? <laughs> and the kids kind of like, Daddy crash, Daddy crash. <laughs> they love the fact that Daddy Robot might crash into an oncoming vehicle. So you've got Daddy Robot drives the cars. And what's Daddy Chicken do? Daddy Chicken, he's just like around every now and again. So if the kids are somewhere, I'll often kind of do, and they'll like run out and then I'll just be like a massive chicken for about 10 minutes. <laughs> Have you seen the dinosaur, Dad? It's online, it's on like YouTube and on TikTok, I think. They go, Daddy Dinosaur. And if all three of the girls, his daughters say it, he just turns into like a velociraptor, but oh, fucks yeah. shit up, like smashes milk on the floor, crisps everywhere, jumps on a table, but does it in public and stuff like that. And the mum is like mortified and the kids are absolutely loving it. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, there's bits like that. And I usually put the little baby to bed every night and my partner does our five-year-old. But I do this weird thing where I pretend to be a delivery driver who just happens to be in the house. And then, like, I knock on the door and I slightly get his name wrong and he's puzzled. He's not sure why this delivery driver's in. And then I get him to sign his name on my phone like he's got a delivery. And then that delivery is always 60 kisses. Oh. <laughs> he does a thing where he's quite clever. Like, he pretends he's like, what is this? So what am I signing for? I'm like, oh, hang on, let me see he signs it. Okay, you got, ah, right, it's 60 kisses. And then he's like, no, but he just, he loves 60 kisses. <laughs> oh, amazing. Are you the kind of person who would embarrass your children in public? Like Rob was saying about, would you do big characters and stuff? Like my dad in the street would enjoy embarrassing us. My little ones, they don't really get it as much. But the big one, yes, definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, not loads. My mate Smiley used to, tell, <laughs> used to embarrass his kids all the time. So I'm not as bad as that. But yeah, I mean... Especially when it comes to like 
loving him in front of friends or uh, trying to get hold yeah. his hand or give daddy kissy, give daddy kissy. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> get off, get off. Yeah, I mean, being in a restaurant and making a noise is, is kind of embarrassing, but they like it, you know. We do a thing because we live down in Twickenham and, and they all do it and they all get involved, which I think is great and I love it, but we have a thing about how many rugby matches are in Twickenham a year, like 20 but the whole place is just like rampacked with men wearing pink cords and wax yeah. jackets and they're here for the rugby. We'll all drive around with the windows down and then whenever we see the big groups of men travelling toward Twickenham, we'll all shout individually things along the lines of, come on, rugby! <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny because like, my five-year-old says, play at the rugby! <laughs> Really slowly past them, and I think they love the fact that we shouldn't be doing it. And then yeah. I like drive off really fast as well. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you, you say? Your mate Smiley does embarrassing. What does he do to his kids? Is that Michael Smiley? Yeah, he used to like his kids are really. I mean, they're old now. They're proper men and people. But like, he used to stand at the school gates and shout, "I love you." Oh. <laughs> really loud as they went in. My dad used to do stuff like that to me. I don't think I could do that to mine because he used to make, I can still feel my shoulders going up when my dad used to do that in front of <laughs> yeah. me. He'd like kiss me on the lips like when like my mates around when I was like 16 going, oh, you're too old to give your daddy a little kiss. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> kiss daddy. Yeah. Kiss daddy, Rob. <laughs> no, don't. Take me. It sounds like a therapy session. You take me back to a pain body. <laughs> What do they make of your... Because you've got, like, such an exciting, cool career for a kid's dad to have. As the 12-year-old must be really thrilled by it, or are they embarrassed uh, by it? Mate, honestly, I don't think he gives a fuck. <laughs> I was on the one show the other day, and he sent me he sent me a WhatsApp, and all it said was, you look nervous. <laughs> oh, no. oh god didn't enjoy it or you look nervous you know what he likes he likes whenever i'm doing a film and there's a drone on set mm, he's all about yeah. the drone he loves that aspect of it and he doesn't really i mean why would he? he's 12 but he doesn't mm. really know what he wants to do but i think i'd love to try and get him somehow onto a set at some point loads of money in drone work yeah exactly I say to him, if you get good at these things, this could be a career for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you actually nervous on the one show? Was he correct or not? No, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> the only thing I'm nervous about is like, when they come in and say, oh, just remember, please don't swear. I'm like, oh, why did you say that? Because now that's all I want to do. Well, I find the hardest thing on the one show is making sure your face yeah. fits whatever video's just been on because they're all just chatting like they're having a coffee. <laughs> but then there's like a horrendous like cancer appeal video and then like it cuts back to you like, hey, yes, I got a new book. You know, like, oh, yeah, right. Just readjust the face. They did one about fairground safety when I was on. Oh, God. Next oh, two God, minutes, yeah. I'm like, what is my fairground safety face? <laughs> <laughs> You've been banned from the one show, Rob, though. So you're one of the few people that you're No, not. I've been back on. Me and Romesh got banned together because we were messing about too much. It's just so funny. And if you're on it with your mate, it's so hard not to just laugh at everything. Why would they ban that? It seems weird. Yeah, I think it just was a, a little bit too raucous. Right. Too much energy for the one show. That's you. I've always said it, Beckett. What day was it? 
Oh, I can't remember what. It was the half an hour one, though. Or was it sometimes the hour one? It's just hilarious when you've got like Jermaine Gillis, who used to play for Tottenham, talking about badger coals. And I'm like, I can't. There's <laughs> never going to get a point where I don't find that funny. And when Jermaine no. Gillis, ex footballer, just turns to the camera and goes, it's sad about those badgers. So, Rob, Romesh, you're doing drag in the new series. <laughs> you're like, how can you not laugh? You said something to me on it about, like, oh, you nearly got a part in the crown or something like that. I went, yeah, but I didn't. Don't bring that up. I could have listed all the teams that you didn't sign for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he went, why have you always got to make it about football? I was like, Jermaine, you are a footballer before a fucking TV presenter, mate. That's yeah. what your career was. And now you've got a new one. Did you almost get a part in the crown, Rob? I didn't know this. So, you know, when that plaster from Essex broke into the palace to speak with the Queen? <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah, I really had to stretch myself to be a sort of mad, ill-educated labourer, tradesperson that climbed for a oh, window. Oh, wow, that guy that broke into the Queen's bedroom. Michael something. Who got it in the end? I don't know, someone that could act, probably. I can't remember. I've seen it. He was very good, actually. Like, it's mental, Nick, because you must do this a lot, but probably don't have to audition anymore. But you go and, like, you learn a scene that maybe involves crying and having a breakdown, talking to the Queen, and then, like, you practice it loads. You go in for, like, three auditions and cry in front of strangers in an office. And then they go, yeah, thanks, it was great, but we're going with someone else. I'm like, I've just cried three times in front of you. <laughs> I just thought about my dad dying of lung cancer. <laughs> Ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if I'm guilty of anything, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm guilty about, but when it comes to auditions, I just never try. Really? Oh. I never learn it. I just read it. I'm just like, oh, just give me it or don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, I should, I should give more of a shit, I'm sure. Because but... you came into it a different route, didn't you? Is that right? You sort of weren't a trained actor as such from the start. You didn't go to school. No, not at all. I was waiting tables till I was like 28 and then Simon Pegg wrote me a part in space and I was like, uh, all right, let's do this for six weeks. And then I went back to waitering and then a second series of space. And then after that, I got an agent and then I started getting more bits and pieces. And then I was like 35 and I was like, all right, let's give this a crack then. You're pretty good. You're getting work. Let's start taking this seriously. And then did you do any training then, or has it always been just sort of natural instinct? Yeah, no, just it's just pretending, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, what I've always done is that I wanted to be a novelist. So even as a kid, I'd just look at people and listen to their conversations, and I think it was about learning the emotions, do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm writing backstories for people you've never met. You're, like, in the boots, wait for a prescription in boots, and you're like, who are these people? What's Why are you here? That was always the thing I've yeah. always loved. So I think when it came to acting, it was just a question of, I mean, I'm being really basic here, but just becoming that person and knowing their backstory and knowing why they do what they do and how they feel and why they feel what they feel, you know. Amazing. And do you still want to be a novelist? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's odd not being an actor. That's the weird thing about writing a book too, because it's like, yeah. I didn't want to do that thing where... Well, you're an actor and I'm going to do this thing. You're a celebrity in some world. And now here I am doing a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you are properly into food, to be fair. Like on your social media, you can tell there's a real passion and love. But this is part memoir, part cookbook. It's called A Slice of Fired Gold. Fried Gold. Fried yeah. Gold. Sorry, yeah, Fried Gold. Is well, I just wanted it to be like, yes, I love food. 
I love cooking. Here's everything I cook at home for the kids and for my family. And this is why I do it. And then also there's some kind of flights of fancy and there's a story about ragu and it begins the ragu recipe that I used. And then I kind of really slowly just start to introduce these characters like an Italian lady called it Bianca who's 16. And then she meets this guy at a wedding and her father's an alcoholic and it can never be. And eventually they have a little kiss and then they fall in love and they have like loads of kids. And then she dies of lung cancer in her 80s. And then it goes to then add butter. You know what I mean? I love the fact that you could take a recipe and it become like a weird. I like that thing sometimes when you're reading a book or you're reading someone's kind of flight of fancy and you turn a page and you're like, how the fuck did we get here? Yeah. And I thought it would be fun if you could do that for a recipe book as well. Did you enjoy writing it? Because it's a completely different thing to do again. You're like going, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do 2,000 words a day or how did it work for you? I don't really worry about the amount I do a day, but I'll get up and I'll sit at a desk at like 8 a.m. and I'll always have films on in the background or something shit like Outback Opal Hunters or <laughs> Outback. Anything with the word Outback in it, I tend to enjoy. <laughs> so that'll be on in the background and I'll work until 12. I'll have like 40 minutes off to have a sandwich and a cup of tea and then I'll work until 3. Nice. Yeah. I do love that. When I was a younger man, I wanted to be a novelist. I kind of love that vibe of you, you want to write a novel, but you never really write. And you just kind of you fall in love and it hurts so much that you can't move and you smoke a hundred cigarettes and you eat a kind of watery soup made of potatoes. And then you see the woman you love and she's with someone else and you want to kill yourself. You know, I kind of love that ennui about writing some books and that's fine and i love that kind of romance about being a novelist but when you start writing films and television and they say okay so we need a first draft in four weeks yeah that kind of romanticized notion of what a writer is goes out the window pretty quick and you have to learn that discipline of write any old shit and just get it down and then we'll fix it later. Do you think in your book, that's why you've sort of got a few like flights of fancy, sort of like having a little go at that sort of novel-y stuff of creating stories and characters. Was that sort of way to sort of express that? Because it is like about your life as well. Yeah, I just wanted it to be a bit of fun as well. It wasn't, I didn't just want to write who am I to write a frigging recipe book? It's like, well, okay, so if I am going to write a recipe book, I want it to have a connection to things that matter to me in terms of family and food that I love cooking, food I love cooking for people. And it's going to be weird and funny and I'll get a chance to write little bits of fictionalised prose as well. And it's fun. You're writing there about, like, the beef stroganoff was your favourite growing up and your mum used to make that. And you write about your mum being an alcoholic and as that got worse, you took over the cooking and started making the beef stroganoff for yourself and things like that. How does that feel where that was your childhood and then now you've got kids the same age, you've got your 12-year-old, which would have been you having to cook that dinner because your mum wasn't very well. Like, how does it make you feel as a parent now? Right now, today, I think I'm very... I feel very proud that they will never have to go through what I went through. And fortunately, after a long time of 
working through how I felt about my mum and my dad and my life growing up. I'm now at a point where, as a 51-year-old man, I fucking completely get why my mum did what she did. And I didn't for a long time. And it made me very resentful and very angry. And as we all know, if you sit with that resentment and anger, you yourself become a cancer, you know. So I think it was about six or seven years ago that I suddenly was like, you know what? I totally get it. Mm. Totally understand. And they will never have to feel that. But in writing these books, I mean, my first book too was a memoir and this was a kind of memoir, but it's also about food. But my parents died and I I didn't fucking know anything about them. You know what I mean? I didn't know what they were afraid of. What's your favourite film? What do you like doing? Do you like spiders? You know what I mean? I didn't know any of that stuff. So at least writing these things, there's a chance for my kids to be able to say, well, this is what dad went through and this is who he was a little bit. And Mm, I fucking hate the phrase legacy, but it's a chance to leave them something which isn't just me fucking off a radio because I'm mad or... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They can physically pick up. Years ago, I went to the Barbican with my ex-wife. We went to see a play. I've got a really weird thing that if I can feel the bottoms of jeans like catching on the heel of a shoe, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I can feel that, it just drives me more and more insane. And like, we drove to Barbican and the traffic was shit, so I had the ump anyway. And then I could just feel the bottom of these trousers just keep catching on the bottom of my shoes. And so I got so umpy that I reached down and I essentially tore the jeans so they became chaps. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like in the foyer of the barbican and I'm now wearing denim chaps. (laughs) To which point my wife just turned around and walked back to the car. And that was it. We never got to see the play. What is it about the jeans? Is that something from childhood or something where you had to wear a bad pair of jeans that were too long or something? I just feel it catching underneath. I'm like, fuck that. Why? <laughs> Maybe it's about, oh, why are your stupid legs so small? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's always, there's always some sort of strange catalyst for it, isn't there? Yeah. Do you think your son will, well, obviously two of your kids are too young, but would your 12-year-old, will he read the book now, do you think? He wants to. He keeps saying, oh, can I have one? Can I have one? <laughs> His mum's got one. She got the um because I signed it. She said, will you sign it? I said, yeah, I wrote all the best. <laughs> <laughs> all the best, Nick. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's not quite ready yet. And I think it would be more questions than answers. Yeah. yeah as much yeah. as you want to introduce your children and not hide things like addiction and alcoholism, personally, I feel like you have to just start to sprinkle it in from now-ish. Did they meet your parents then? Did they meet their grandparents? Or did no, they my dad now? died 12 years ago and my mum died almost 20 years ago. If they've never met and they've got no sort of memory of them, but it's quite young to introduce that kind of stuff, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, totally. But part of that book is there are things that my mum cooked that I cooked and it tastes exactly the same and now they eat and love it. So it's like, well... This is what your grandmother was. Yeah. Yes, she was also these things, but she was also a great cook who, at times, wanted to spiritually and physically nourish us. It's like an heirloom, almost a recipe, isn't it? Of like, this is what your grandparents, and if they cook that for their kids, it's sort of a connection, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's like a time machine. It's like looking at old Polaroids and being able to actually physically feel what you felt when that Polaroid was taken. My nan had a lemonade recipe that was supposed to be amazing and everyone banged on about it and then they tried to get the recipe off her before she died, but she refused to tell anyone. That's amazing. (laughs) It's mental. I mean, that's gone. But in a way, she's preserved the mystery because no one can ever go, no, I don't think that lemonade was that good. The lemonade (laughs) now tastes better than it ever did when it existed, if you know what I mean, because it's got these mythical (laughs) qualities. Maybe she had an ego where she didn't want anyone to take the glory for what she'd made. Wow. Exactly. (laughs) Honestly, I'm glad she's gone. (laughs) I'm glad she's gone, Rob. (laughs) Yeah, for that kind of attitude, you're right. I agree with you. Yeah. Keep your fucking lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> your fucking teeth rotting lemonade. Fuck off with it. Were your children fussy when they were small? I mean, two of them still are, but like, obviously, a lot of people struggle with getting their kids to eat like interesting things or like be interested in food. My two year old is, I mean, this in like the most loving way, but she's a big fat hog and she'll eat anything she's given. She. <laughs> Loves it. <laughs> Sometimes we've sat together, me and her, for like 90 minutes and just grazed through food. She loves it. She trusts it. And she really enjoys it. Now, my five-year-old, he went through a phase of really loving stuff. Now he doesn't love stuff as much, although secretly he does. <laughs> but he's coming round. You can see him starting to now want to sit and want to eat and want to enjoy everything again. And my 12-year-old, again, went through that phase of loved everything, doesn't trust anything, but now he's being 12. He's he's really nice, actually, because when we're together and we're cooking, I'm always keen. All the kids, if I'm cooking, like, something with a nice, rich gravy in, I'll always be offering them little spoons of gravy literally every time they walk through the kitchen. And I often find that that is a way of getting them to eat because they feel... They've been part of its creation. They've done it. At least give it a try, won't they? Yeah. I mean, they're really good. The lot. I mean, my five-year-old does a thing where <laughs> I have to keep my lid on because I realise they're not doing it to upset me personally. I made something and it was like a fucking three-hour braise and it was just absolutely delicious. And we called my little boy to the table. It was really comedically really beautiful because he did a thing where he got about a metre away Then he rocked forward on one foot and looked, and then he rocked back and went, nope. And then just (laughs) just butt back off into the front room. It doesn't mean it, you know, and I know full well that in like an hour's time when the pressure is off, because I think sometimes kids don't like that pressure of, Mm. now we're all sitting and eating. I know that he will come back and that plate will be completely finished. I think there's pressure, though, isn't there? Like, when you're an adult, sometimes I go around someone's house and they serve something up, and I'm like, fuck that. But you're like, no, you must eat it, because you're at someone's house and they've cooked it for you. You've got to be polite. Well, do you? Well, no, you can't just go, I don't like the look of that. Fuck off at someone's house, can you? Do you? <laughs> well, listen, I think the thing about being a really good cook is you actually don't get invited many places to eat. <laughs> right. Because people, I think, think there's a lot of pressure to get it right. But that said, we went out Sunday and we got a mate of ours who's a chef and it was just amazing, just delicious. The kids there, everyone ate. It was really nice. Really nice treat to not have to cook. Are you tempted to open a restaurant? No, it's too much. 
I worked in commercial kitchens when I was like in my early twenties, and it's fucking hard work. It sounds I get that. Yeah, let's open a restaurant, but it's like <laughs> I'm up at five a.m. buying fish. It's like, <laughs> unless you wanted to do something which was, I mean, what's in my mind at this point is, and loads of people are doing it. But like ten years ago, I was like, let's just fucking do cheeseburgers, just like yeah, smash burgers. American cheese, onions, and really good bun. It's so simple. That'd be a hit. I did want to do a thing, and I think someone's done it, but like in the summer, you get ice cream vans. But I wanted to do a thing in the winter, you get uh, roast dinner vans. <laughs> so it comes around, and you get like a cone of Yorkshire pudding, and then you can have like roast potatoes, carrots, cheesy leeks, and then you just get gravy on top. So it's like a roast dinner, but in a cone. Yeah. Loads of people do burgers. Burger King and McDonald's can survive together. Well, yeah, McDonald's becoming very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, there was a couple of things I wanted to ask you from the book. You said you cook with a helmet on. Is that correct? Like a crash helmet? Not at all. <laughs> no, that's just bollocks for the burb. <laughs> Where's it saying in the book I cook with a helmet on? It says it in the cell that we got sent in the email. Maybe if I'm cooking bombs... Wait, to read what it says? Yeah, go on. It talks about your mum and the stroganoff and you having to make it. And then it says, now as a parent himself, he wants his kids to have a different relationship with food, whether it's waking up to smell of fresh bread. Does that happen? Yes. Good, correct. Or understanding that dad will wear a helmet when he cooks so he doesn't have to listen to them. I don't wear a fucking helmet. I've got little earbuds that I put in. <laughs> That's what I do. The sound of children's laughter is sometimes so... Hateful to me that <laughs> yeah, like little headphones in and stuff. Not a helmet though. Where's helmet come from? Fucking helmet. It's weird. I didn't write that. <laughs> Someone the publishers. Yeah, spicing it up. I'm surprised Alex Jones didn't ask you on the one show about the helmet. So you wear the helmet when you cook, Nick? Maybe you had it on on the show, which is why you look nervous. <laughs> well, that said, now I feel like maybe I should develop a cooking helmet. Well, we've we headphones <laughs> in, and then like onions, you could pull the visor down so you don't cry. That's a great idea. Also, you could just smash the fuck out of garlic simply by headbutting it. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> radios that don't work, just headbutt them at the end of the garden. Yeah, any kind of meat you want tenderized, yeah. smash it up, just fucking. Or on your chin, get a rolling pin, fucking roll it out with your chin, give it a networking. <laughs> Guys, this is great. Let's split this three ways. Why don't you ask Nick about the Joe Frost thing that we found when we were Googling Nick's credits? Your IMDb says Super Nanny. Yes. Are you any relationship to Joe Frost, Super Nanny? No, it was just a weird... There was things years ago when I did it like, we were married. She was my first <laughs> wife. It's like, no, we just happened to be Frost. I've never even met her. So was you on Super Nanny? I did the voiceover. Everything good I know about children comes from voicing three seasons of Super Nanny. And do you use any of her techniques? Cooking helmet. Cooking helmet. <laughs> no, I mean, I never like that putting them on a naughty step thing because it just seemed oh. like it's fine if they stay there, but if they don't, then you've got that really horrible thing where sometimes when kids just completely lose their shit and you just have to hold them until the fight goes out of them. I was like, this doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's called restraining. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have, I definitely have sometimes when my little five-year-old is like beginning to smash stuff up because he's so angry and 
It's just like, I'm now going to just hold you for a bit because I feel like you're going to hurt yourself. Any other tips from Super Nanny, Nick, that you picked up, really? You know what? It's always the parents. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, a two-year-old's not just born a little <laughs> is it? It's... <laughs> So I think there's lots to be learned there by whatever those parents do. Just don't do that. When you're doing the voiceover on something like Super Nanny, are you sat there watching the whole episode or are you just blasting through it? Yeah, I'm just blasting through it, doing like 10 episodes a day. So unless there's like a really compelling storyline and I'm like, oh, hang on, can we watch this bit? Yeah. (laughs) My question for you, Nick, is in space. Where was the house exactly? (laughs) And does it get people who go to it now as a kind of, like, Abbey Road zebra crossing? Okay, so the house is in, like, Islington Tufnell Park area. And really weirdly, my best mate and his family live in that house now. No. No, that's weird. Yeah, it came up for sale about five years ago, and they said, yeah, we'll have it. They didn't, I mean... Not big fans of space, but they bought the house because it's beautiful and massive. And so sometimes if I'm going to see him and then like there are people outside taking pictures, like Mike from space comes out of the space now, <laughs> which is kind of weird for people. But yeah, my mate Danny and his wife Vicky and their family bought it. And when it was listed, did it say this is the house from space? Did they know what they were doing? I mean, the lady that was there was the lady that was there when we shot there. So she was like, oh, well, we shot a TV show here. And and I think Danny was a bit storm about it. It's lucky for the sale that it was called Spaced rather than Cramped. Oh, that's good. That's lovely, Rob. Haunted. Yeah, haunted. Whenever we go and see houses, (laughs) it's just to make my girlfriend laugh but quietly i'll pull the estate agent to one side and i'll say is it haunted (laughs) do you know what i mean and they're never sure what to make and i'll always ask how much the house weighs (laughs) and again they're like oh i'll have to check that for you i'm like all right okay (laughs) the other thing i do to make my partner laugh is when we check in when we're flying to like la or somewhere i really quietly say to the lady who checks us in are there toilets on board? (laughs) (laughs) You've never used a plane before. (laughs) I can't believe that about space, that your friends bought it. That's an incredible coincidence. Yes, it's great. It's your son watched Spaced. No, honestly, I just... 12-year-olds like KSI and Prime drinks, Josh, not sitcoms. I just can't believe that times have changed this much. There's not much they can see. A lot of it's like there's a decapitation or... I did like six films last year all back to back and I was like, half the time I was just covered in gore. I'm like, oh, (laughs) more fucking films my kids can't see. But there'll be a time in there, you know, 18, 19, 20, where you're like, oh, there's 50 films here that Dad made. Let's have a look. Or let's just bin them. Is there anything you would do if your kid said, look, I know it's going to be embarrassing, but we really want you to do Strictly? (laughs) <laughs> oh no way fuck them <laughs> I did a film called Cuban Fury years ago about a dancer and then I got offered Strictly off the back of that and yeah. I was like no but also for Strictly I've noticed over the last however many years I've been watching it they don't know how to dress fat people 
they always end up wearing like just a big glittery blouse and they end up looking like a big fat egg. <laughs> How would you dress the fat people on Strictly? <laughs> There's a question I didn't think I'd be asking on this interview. I wouldn't. I'd just let them be <laughs> naked. <laughs> really long jeans at the bottom and rip the shirt off at the end. Kickers and long jeans at the bottom, and then they have to tear the jeans off, and there's like big gold pants underneath. Definitely not doing strictly, even if the kids wanted it. Never. Really? Even the Christmas special, it's only one day of filming, two days of filming. Stick it. Fuck it. Fair enough. Should we ask the final question, Josh, unless you've got anything else you want to ask? Yeah, do it, Rob. Do it. Are you going to ask anything about Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz, like an absolute cliched 40 year old? (laughs) I'm just interested in people's careers. Yeah, I know. Nick, don't want to talk about fucking space anymore, do you, Nick? Are you only 40, Josh? I'm 40, yeah. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, the final question that we always ask everyone is, what one thing your partner does, parenting-wise, that you're in awe of and you think, wow, she's amazing, couldn't do this without her, and what is one thing that she does where you go, that fucking annoys me? And if she was listening, she might go, fair enough, I get your point. Let's say from the get-go, she wouldn't ever say, oh, fair enough, I get your point. (laughs) Right, sure. (laughs) This is just going to be a general thing, but she's just an amazing mum, do you know what I mean? Like, she's so calm and she's really patient, just really gentle, you know what I mean? Mm. She's just great. I literally have no downside to her, but the ick point, the ick bit would be... We're all busy, I get it. But if I'm saying to you, oh, could you help me just doing that thing? And then she'll like hold a jumper up. She'll say, you know, I'm folding the children's jumpers. <laughs> yeah, I get it. We've got kids. I get we've got kids. You don't have to weaponize the kids just to be a bit fucking lazy. It's like, well, can you help me? I'm making dinner for 15 people. Can you not just put that jumper down a second and just grab a bit of milk? You know, we've got kids, Nick. <laughs> you want to do your fucking braise? We've got kids, actually, that have got jumpers. Yeah, I'm having to do four different meals because you're a fucking veggie. <laughs> I think that's a fair point. Everyone's got little things that frustrate them. She's amazing, you know. Brilliant. Nick, good luck with the book. A Slice of Fried Gold, part memoir, part cookbook. And is it out now? When's it out? It is, yeah. It came out last Thursday, so... Lovely. Sure, there's 1.8 million copies left. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. No, it's been an honour to have you on. Thanks, we love Nick. You. It's been a joy. Oh, Nick Frost there. What a lovely bloke. Really nice. We did what we said we'd do. We introduced him previously, telling everyone what he's been in and done. Then we asked him about the helmet, which was a good thing to bring up because it's not true. Yeah. Also, Rob, don't beat yourself up about a slice of fired gold because the typo's in the email. Thank you very much. I thought that the old dyslexia getting me, but actually it just been written wrong. So I don't know whether to sack Michael or the person that sent it to him. Could I just say, the thought that Michael has intercepted the email on the way to us and added the helmet bit to try and fuck up the interview. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know how busy Michael is and I doubt he's going back to spell PR blurbs incorrectly. Because I'd say Michael does send emails, but I'd say they're quite copy and paste heavy. Yeah, I'd say that's a copy and paste, that email. Is that a copy and paste, Michael? Fair? It would be really funny if after, what, three years of doing this and never mm. once giving you any kind of bio... 
just to test whether you'd read it, I dropped in a random fact about Nick Frost cooking in a helmet just to go, let's, let's see if they bring this bullshit up. Really? I mean, I didn't do that, but it would have been great. Oh, that would have been great. A couple of typos. That's what Elon Musk did to find out who was leaking information. They sent out the same email to about a thousand people, but they changed certain bits in it slightly so that they could tell who'd copied and pasted it. Oh, that's clever. So every email was actually, there was this one little thing in the email in the body of it where it was like an extra space or a typo and every single email was slightly different. Oh, it's not a million miles off Colleen Rooney. A lot of people say Elon Musk, Colleen Rooney and Michael Marden are very similar people. Very similar. I wouldn't want to cross any of them. <laughs> Nick Frost's book, A Slice of Fried Stoke Fired Gold, is out now. We'll be back on Tuesday. Yes, I'll see you on Tuesday, Josh. I'll see you then. Bye. Hello, I'm Giles Brandreth. What's the very first thing you remember? That's the question I'll be asking my famous and fascinating guests in Rosebud, my new podcast about first memories and first experiences. My first memory is handing my Auntie Muriel a piece of turd. Other guests include Dame Judi Dench, Alison Hammond and Rory Stewart. Download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Jen Brister. And I'm Kerry Godleyman. And we host the brand new podcast series, Memory Lane. Each week, we'll be taking a trip down Memory Lane with our very special guests, as they bring in full photos from their past to talk about. And Jen and I will be doing new episodes every week. Come on, we can all be nosy together. Memory Lane podcast, available now.